Our sermon text this morning is from the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can just use your program. The text is on the inside of your program. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as their Lord, their God, had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the sixth year of Darius the king. God, we are good. you are good. We thank you that this is your word and that it is powerful to speak into our lives and to challenge us to serve you greater. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome. It's so good to see everybody. I'm so glad that you guys decided to come to church in spite of the snow. And sometimes I snow that I know I snow. The snow can be a deterrent from coming to different places. But I'm so glad that you guys prioritized God's word today and that you are here. There are a couple of things that I would like to um, just kind of rejoice in. You heard this already, but um, for those of you who might be a guest, you might not know we have a compassion fund, and that basically means that all the monies that kind of come in from from uh, friends of our church and members of our church, we take 10% of that. Uh, we put 10% of that aside for basically missions and compassion. And what we mean by compassion is just people in need. You know, so when, um, um, when issues come to our attention, we just try to help. You know, so if that's you, by the way, if there's just something that you're going through and you need some help, just come to us. And, and we'll just do the best that we can to get the word out and help you personally as a church. So thank you for that. Just don't forget on your way out that that bucket will be at the door for the Renahans. Uh, I just wanted to, like, I don't know if we're going to cancel our thing tonight because of the snow. So I figured we're just going to use this time to welcome uh, the newest member to our church, and that's Andy Argenbright. I, I'm kind of surprised at him right now. We were going to do this tonight, but I didn't want to pass that opportunity to just kind of welcome him as the newest member of our church. If, if you, that's Andy. Andy, can you wave to everybody? Just uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we do have a members directory, a new one that I'd like all of you to take on your way out. It's in that back table. I was gonna, again, I was going to distribute that tonight, but I just really wanted to get in your hands. It's important that we have these directories because it's a little thing. It seems like a simple thing, but it just reminds us of who our church family is and who's members here. The Bible says that we're responsible to be in covenant with each other, to be accountable with each other. And it's just a good thing to have wherever you do your devotional so you, you can pray for your church family. Just kind of remember each other. It's easy it's just in the busyness and the hustle and bustle of life to just kind of forget that we have a spiritual family that is our, our most important priority. So just grab that on your way out if you can do that. And it's got some basic contact info if you ever want to get in touch with anybody. So that's, that's out there. And by the way, why, why do we have, why, why join a church? Why have a member of a church? Why be a member of a church? The basic, the basic reason, if I can keep, a, keep it as simple as possible, is the Bible calls pastors shepherds. So for me, that just means that if I'm, if I'm a good shepherd, I'm going to know what sheep are in my sheepfold. Right? I need to know who I'm responsible to watch out for. If you're not a member of a church, we don't really know who that is. 
who, who, who are we accountable to as a group. And that's just the, ba the, the most basic way I can explain it. And there are obviously other reasons than that, but just be encouraged to, to consider that in the process. And, but yeah, just grab that on your way out. So I'm just excited to continue what is our series in the book of Haggai. Haggai is the, the, uh, a, a place in scripture that you turn to if you want to be real seeker-friendly with people that don't know much about Jesus or Christianity or the Bible. You say, turn to the book of Haggai, and people scratch their heads. It's easier to find Genesis or Revelation, because <laughs> that's the start and finish. But we turn to the book of Haggai, and if you have a little trouble finding it, don't, you, you know, seasoned Christians have trouble finding the book of Haggai in scripture. So don't feel bad. It's okay. And we wrote that scripture text down for you in your programs if you're having a little trouble finding it in your Bible. The reason we started to go through this book in the Bible is because the topic of the book of Haggai is to take care of building the presence of God, the, the temple in their context, but for us, take care of building the church, the, the presence of the kingdom of God in your life and in the lives of people around you. Last week we learned from the book of Haggai that there's no greater work that we as God's church can do, that we can do, than to rise up and build his kingdom presence. Now in your minds right now you may think there is no greater work that I can do than get my receipts together and my W-4s. Is that what they're called? Or W-2s? Yeah, W-2s. See, I'm in trouble <laughs> already. So, but there is no greater work that you can do. I mean, consider that's a pretty courageous and bold statement to make. No greater, I mean, isn't my greatest work as a father or a husband, an employee? But friend, there is no greater work that we can participate in than to rise up and build God's people. To build the presence of God in our lives. In Haggai's day, the temple of Solomon had been destroyed and Judah had been led into captivity. The Persians eventually conquered Babylonia and allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild. And they had started the foundation of the temple, but because of persecution they had stopped and started paneling their houses. What an interesting thing to say. Paneling their houses. We learn that to rebuild the temple today is to build the presence of God in our lives. Because that's what the temple represents in the Old Testament. It represents the presence of God. So it's to build the temple today is to build our, the body of Christ up because we are members of the body of Christ. And as our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, the church corporately represents what is the presence of God on this earth. That's why Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You preserve society as you grow the kingdom in your lives. So Haggai warned that when they lay down the trial and busy themselves with busy work, that it just doesn't satisfy. We ignore this work at our own peril. His call to the Israelites then and his call to us now is to rise up and build, to pay attention to the presence of God in our lives and in our world. And if we obey this, the fruit is beyond comparison. Thus says the Lord in verse 7, we learned last week, the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I might be glorified, says the Lord. If we obey, the Lord is glorified. Now that's just some Christian language that kind of we just kind of miss it sometimes. What does it mean that the Lord is glorified? Well, I'll give you a little sample of what it means to give glory to something. You guys remember there was a game 
about some ball, right, a couple weeks ago. When you give glory to something, you are a participator in the greatness of someone else. You are in awe of what that person is able to do. So if you watch this football game, if you were like me, you were just in awe at what was happening, at the ability of the players, and at the very end, when this great miracle happens, and what's his name? I don't even remember it. Butler intercepts the ball at the final moment, and what did everybody do? Well, if you were the other guy, the other coach, you remember what he did? <laughs> he did that. Everybody else lost their minds, though. Because to give glory to something is to participate in the event. To communicate your impression of it to someone else is part of the glorious process. So when we give glory to God, we are recognizing how fantastic he is, how wonderful he is. And we can't do anything but communicate that with people around us, right? It's just kind of natural. It just happens to us. So when we obey God, God is glorified. We are participating in who he is and we get a window into that. When we get a vision of God's glory, there's nothing so beautiful that it would distract us from having its presence in our lives. Nothing is better than looking into the glory of God and, part and lauding in that glory. So here's Haggai. Here's this prophet, an insignificant prophet with a seemingly insignificant ministry. He delivers what's the second shortest book in the Old Testament, next to Obadiah. And you say, I didn't know about Obadiah either. <laughs> but he's in there. When he's done with that message, we don't hear from him again. It's like he just disappears. And this alone speaks to us, doesn't it? We think our, our work is small. We think it's insignificant. That doesn't matter. But we're going to talk more about that next week, so just shelf that. Haggai speaks his message from the Lord to the Jews. And what happens? See, we, we learned this last week. Haggai sends out the message. You're paneling your houses. Build the king, kingdom of God in spite of the persecution. And what's their response? Would it fall on deaf ears like Jeremiah, if you've ever read the book of Jeremiah? Would he be stoned or exiled or worse by his own people? Like, like many of the prophets before him? When the Lord came to him with this message, did he remember what the nation of Israel often did to prophets that were not prophesying in their favor? Gosh, he must have been scared. And isn't that us sometimes? When we have a message from God and there's someone sitting next to us and God is compelling us to speak his word to them, what do we do? We frightened or do we speak up? He told the people to stop being scared, to stop being lazy. He has courage and speaks God's word. He says you're bankrupt because of your disobedience. So rise up and build. Seek the glory of God in the presence of God. His glory is your strength. And what did they do? What would you do? Solomon said, like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. When I was a boy, I'd never admit I did something wrong. I went through this stage when I was about, I don't know, 10 to 13, that if I got in trouble, my hands in the cookie jar and there's chocolate on my face, I didn't do it. <laughs> right? I would never, ever admit that I did something wrong. Our hearts can be hard, can't they? 
and unrelenting. I'm older now, and I still find myself unwilling to admit when I've failed someone, when I've sinned against somebody, when, I've, when I'm sinning against God. Our hearts can be so hard and so callous. And would this be Israel again? Friend, is this you this morning? Here's what happened. His glory was their strength. We see a few things. Number one, they feared and obeyed the Lord. Their eyes were opened. Verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as their Lord, their God, had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Rare do we see that in Israel in the Old Testament. To begin to fear the Lord is to begin to see his glory. When the light the Lord emits, it makes all other lights as darkness. When the light the Lord emits, it makes all other lights as darkness. Even the flame of a candle, when placed in front of the sun, disappears. The glory of the Lord, when we get a glimpse of that glory, is brighter than any other light that has distracted us in our lives. John Calvin said, And what can man do who is but rottenness and a worm? Interesting. A worm. Thank you, John. When even the cherubim themselves must veil their face in terror. To this the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 24, 23, when he shall exhibit his refulgence and give a nearer view of it, the brightest objects will in comparison be covered with darkness. That is, when a bright object comes in the presence of an object that's not so bright. You don't even see it anymore. It's darkness. Isaiah 24, Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed at the presence of the glory of God. For the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and his glory will be before his elders. And then in the book of Revelation, it says, And night will be no more. They will need, they will need no light or lamp, or sun, for the glory of the Lord will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Friend, when you get a glance upon, when you glance upon the refulgence of his presence, when you get a nearer view of the beauty and brilliance of God's presence, all other fears are but a flickering flame that disappear and that are about to be extinguished. What is refulgence? That's an old kind of word that we don't really use anymore. It just means it's a radiant quality or state in its fullness or in all of its presence, like a full moon. The refulgence of the moon. When you see the moon in all of its glory, it's impressive when we see this. So is God not a refulgence, a refulgent concept in your mind? Is, it, is he just an idea? Or have you seen him? Have you seen the glory of God? Do you fear the Son, Jesus Christ, or do you fear man? Perhaps it's because man is the only light you've seen and you have not seen the beauty of Christ in your life yet. Are you more in awe of the light of the moon when it's the sun that provides that light to begin with? 
See, all the things that distract us, all the, the fears that we have, the, thi- the, the motivations that drive us, the things that we applaud and laud and appreciate, that we think that if we accomplish, then we become significant. All of those things are a reflection of the glory of, of God in Christ. And by the way, how's that working? When you, when you are trying to warm yourself by the warmth of a little flickering wick on a candle, when the sun is there for you every day. It just doesn't warm you when the howling cold north winds blow, does it? We fill, we, we fill our holes with money. Uh, we, we fill our pockets with money, but our pockets are filled with holes. We do, why, do, why do we fear not having that little match when the sun rises and sets in full view every day? Why do we fear not having the approval of people when God offers us full approval through Jesus Christ, our Lord? Why do we fear not having the love of one soul when the Great Spirit holds out to you his unconditional love accomplished at the death and resurrection of Christ himself? What do you fear more, friend? Not living in the daily glorious presence of God himself or not living in the presence of some false hope, some broken cistern that cannot hold water. Friend, you will never obey God. You will never obey God until you fear him. And you will never fear him until you see his glory as compared to all those other little glories all around us. Right? When you drink from the living water, not having this water is so much more frightening than the loss of some other object we treasure. So when Haggai speaks, Israel sees, they know. They get an exhibition of his refulgence. They fear the Lord and they obey his voice. Can we just kind of pause here and reflect upon this that they obeyed? They have a new sense of obedience to divine priorities. Consider, too, that these guys had been obeying God. They built the the foundation of the temple already. We we, we can see that if we look at the book of Ezra. They had had returned. They had laid the foundation. Then persecution started, and they stopped working. They started paneling their houses because they got scared. Isn't that interesting? Because as we so often do, they had not used their prior service to the Lord as some excuse to stop serving him now. Which we can so often, I see myself so often do that in my life. I've worked for you hard, Lord, for many years. And I'm just tired. So I just don't, I don't want to do it anymore. I want someone else to. I've done many things for God, you say. No, the work is not done. God doesn't let us get away with that for our own sake. He doesn't let us get away with this. Fear him. Be in awe of him. Obey him. Rise up and build. Over and over again in the story of scripture, the people don't repent. They refuse to turn to the Lord. But here is a great miracle that any of us see and any of us obey. How does that happen? But God giving us light in our eyes. Christian friend, do you remember when God first gave you that sight to your blind eyes? Do you recall seeing him clearly? And then collapsing in wonder at your prior rebellion toward him. I remember that day in my life when Christ opened my eyes. And it was a wonder to me why I ever rebelled, to him, I rebelled against him to begin with. You remember that day? And then life happens. We go through trial. 
And it's not easy. We put down the trowel and we just do other things. And God calls us to do like Israel. Repent. He gives you opportunity to pick it up again. Amen. The second thing that happens is that they were reassured by the Lord. So they obeyed and feared the Lord. And the second thing, they were reassured by the Lord. Their hearts were defended. Listen to verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. Four little words that change everything. When the rays of the sun start to bleed through those dark clouds, and we start to see through all of the obstacles separating us from its warmth, we approach. We see its glory as worth fighting for. We fear and we obey. And God responds with these words, I'm with you. I'm with you. Isn't that comforting, Refuge Church, to know that this isn't just something we're trying to figure out, that this isn't just establishing a place as a refuge, that is the presence of God in the world that we live in, isn't just something we're on our own to do. That God is here, that he is bigger than our problems, that he is bigger than the average preacher that you have. <laughs> he is better than the, the, the things that we kind of fumble up and we don't always do right. He's bigger than that. He's with us. Have you ever heard these words before? I am with you from the Lord. Israel was to build and their partner was the Lord himself. When God works with us, there's some lessons that we can learn. First, we have an unmatched friend. He's on our side. The Lord is on your side. When you put faith in Christ and repented of your sins, and you began a spiritual journey with God himself, your friend became the, was, your friend became the creator of the world. Your new friend was God himself, the creator. Israel was to build with the Lord himself, and they had an unmatched friend, and he's on our side. He's on your side. What's your problem today? <laughs> that sounded kind of rude. What are you going through today? What are your trials today? Do you know that God's on your side? That he's with you? <clears throat> if you have seen him and believed, in faith he's on your side. The one, once, the one who was once directing his wrath toward you because of your sin, he was once your enemy, has forgiven us, and now is our defender and friend. Last week we saw Israel neglecting the Lord and paneling their houses. And the, the scripture says something very interesting. He said, I am putting holes in your pocket, says the Lord. You're working and you're toiling and I'm making it not be fruitful in your life. So in other words, God is working against us just a few verses ago. But when we see his glory and we obey him, he is now our, ad, not our adversary, he is now our friend. He is now our partner. He labors and works with us. He is an unmatched friend. The Lord is with us. Second, we have an, un, we have an unmatched dignity. Imagine this. He uses us and not the stones. He uses us and not angels. He uses us and not lions and bears. He uses you and me to do his kingdom work on this earth. 
He doesn't say, sit down, I'll do it. Just back up. He invites us to participate in building his presence in this world, in your world, in our world. Amen? What an amazing dignity we have when we start building with our creator. Third, our work has unmatched importance. When I was 20, I got a job at Sintaz, the uniform people. I remember uh, one day, <laughs> I, had a, I had a grunt job too. All I did was I loaded trucks and unloaded them. All the dirty laundry was disgusting. Okay? And they basically provided uniforms for people in the area and they washed them and they brought them back the next week. One day, all of the clothes came to us, so it was all, they were all separated normally, by truck, by day, by customer, by everything, right? All organized. And all I had to do was take those clothes, put it on the right truck. Very easy. But one day, all of the clothes came into a big, jumbled, bald mess, <laughs> right? So none of, nothing was in order. This is a bad day at Syntaz, the uniform people. Everybody that worked there came out and helped us. The sales department was there helping us sort this, these clothes. The, the service department was there, which was the drivers. They're all working with me, the guy that pushes the broom. And I'm kind of barking out orders to them. The GM was out there with us, where it's the big boss. He was there working with us, fixing the mess. When your boss comes out to help you with your job, either you're in big trouble, right, or something is happening that is defining the importance of your job, right? Something happened outside of your control that is kind of putting the uh, pressure on, in everyone's life to realize how important it is what you do. So that was, that's what I, this wasn't my fault, and everybody knew it. And that day I realized, wow, what I do is very important. And when the boss comes out and he's working beside you, you realize how important your job is, right? So when the Lord of hosts says, I am with you, lo, until the ends of the earth to build this kingdom, and he says that I am on your side working with you, we must recognize the importance, the dignity of, of the, the value of the work that is, we're doing. This is no small potato. This is no light thing that we do. We participate in building God's presence on earth. We don't just warm a chair on Sunday and go home. And friend, if you have lost sight of that, please come back. Please drink again from the water of God's word and remember how unmatched the importance is in the work that we do. Jesus says, lo, I am with you to the ends of the earth. So God's presence in our work shows us that we have an unmatched friend, we have unmatched dignity, and our work has unmatched importance. Finally, our objective has unmatched certainty. Now, I'm not a big basketball fan. I, I won't pr pretend to be. Billy Hendricks is wearing a Celtics shirt. I don't know if he's a big basketball, basketball fan or if it's just a shirt. But I remember when I was a, a kid, when I was about, I don't know, 14, I was a huge basketball fan. I couldn't stop watching basketball. And this was the glory days of like Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan. Anyone who's ever watched basketball will remember that season in basketball history. And those of you who are older than me are like, yeah, poop, pish, posh, Larry Bird was better. Whatever. Jordan was better. <laughs> So you got like Hakeem Olajuwon and all these greats, right? And this is when I, we were, when I was watching basketball. I don't really watch it anymore. So the Bulls were the team back then. They were the team to beat. 
And if one reason or another, Michael Jordan's on the bench, and the, and the Bulls are down, you're wondering, why isn't Jordan playing? He'll bring, and then when he jumps off the bench, your heart leaps, because you know he's the A player, he's the guy that's going to be the hero, that's going to turn it around. So when you have this kind of hero on your team, aren't you kind of delighting in that? Now whenever I got picked for a sports team, that's not why they picked me. <laughs> I wasn't the superstar, I was more like, I was kind of big, I could block, uh, that was usually my job. But when you got the guy on your team that you know is the man, he's the hero, your heart leaps. So when Jordan runs off the bench, we're back in the game again. When we work with this kind of hero, our objective, our victory, becomes more and more certain, right? Our hearts get more and more courage in the process of our work. So when we work with Jesus Christ himself, it is telling about the victory that is assured to us. That it will come to be. Have you forgotten that, friend? When you look around and you see maybe... You know, we're kind of a small church. We're kind of new, but, that's a, but you know, we just kind of wish we were a little bigger. And there's churches around here that are bigger than all. You know, we just kind of get... Do you realize who's working with us? Do you realize that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator of all things, is in this room with us, working with us to build His kingdom? That we do it on His back, He doesn't do it on ours. And do we trust that? Our work has unmatched certainty. Jesus Christ himself promises us that nothing shall prevail against the building of his church. And I believe that. And I hope you do too. What discourages us more when we think that God is not with us? That he is not our friend? That our portion, whatever it is we're doing in the church, just doesn't matter. It's a little thing that doesn't matter. And our work doesn't matter. And we're doomed to fail. I mean, that's discouraging, right? But when we just reflect on this one little principle, I am with you, it should dispel that from our minds to remember the power of our God and his presence in our work. Oh, the glory of the Lord is our strength. When the Lord spoke to the people through Haggai, they feared and believed. The Lord was with them. And thirdly and lastly, they were empowered by the Lord. Their hands became diligent. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. The Lord stirred them up, and they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, the sixth day, the, the second year of Darius the king. Their hearts were stirred up. I've been in places in my life where I have been down because of persecution. And God does something. When I respond to his call, when I obey, he stirs up my heart. He reminds me about how powerful and how good he is. There's a man named uh, William Murray. He was a World War II veteran and a mountaineer. A pioneer of mountain climbing post-World War II. His words have some biblical wisdom, even if he didn't mean them to have those. In a book he writes called In Evidence Not Seen, he says, Until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. 
Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. That the moment one commits oneself, then providence moves to. A whole stream of events issue forth from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents, meetings, and material assistance, which no man could have dreamt would come his way. I learn a deep respect for one of Goth's couplets. Whatever you can do, or dream you can do, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. When we say yes to the call of God to build, in spite of the opposition, in spite of the trial, and in spite of what we might use, that magic that he's talking about, that he refers to, for the Christian has a name. He is a person. He is not a magician. The providence that, move, that moves, that Murray sort of kind of sees as like some impersonal force, is for the Christian, a person, and he has a name. The whole stream of events that issue forth from our bold decisions to rise up and build, those events that raise in our favor all manner of unforeseen incidents, meetings, material assistance, is not magic or some cosmic force. He has a name, and his name is the Lord. God has called you to rise up and build. And when you say yes, the Lord of hosts starts to work with you instead of against you. And all sorts of things will happen that, you ne that never would have happened unless you had done that. His name is the Lord. When we know the Lord is with us, what wouldn't we do? It will give us re resolve and courage. The courage like this one warrior, he said, let it be known to each of us who has two arms and that if hunger makes it necessary, we'll sh we shall eat one and fight with the other. <laughs> Here is a courageous man. Courage that comes to us that came to those three Hebrew boys in the Old Testament after they had been threatened by the king of the world pretty much. Nebuchadnezzar, they say this, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, he's threatening their lives here, and this is their response. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, let it be known that we will not serve your gods. Here are some men that know the glorious presence of God, whose spirits have been stirred by the King of Kings, that don't fear man, but they fear God himself, that obey God, that obey God simply because they know that his glory has no earthly match. The glory of Nebuchadnezzar was not better than the glory of the Lord, and they knew that. They, obey God, they obeyed God when he shuts the mouth of lions, and they obey God when he allo allows those lions to have their short moment in time. That courage can only come to us when we fear God, when we obey God, when we see him in his full refulgence and all of his glory, and he stirs our spirit to have a vision bigger than ourselves. Amen? Would you this day begin to glory in our Lord and our Son, Jesus Christ? Could you today get a vision of his presence and count all other possessions and pursuits as but loss in comparison? Would you have his glory be your strength today? His word comes to you. 
rise up and build the presence of God in your world. My hope today is that you hear, that you see, that you fear the Lord and not man, that you obey and build, and that he stirs your heart. Come with us. Let's pick up that trial and let's work. Let's build the presence of God. Amen? All right, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that this morning you have called us as your people to take courage, to, be, to build again, to trust you in all other matters that seem to be going out of control. God, we thank you so much for your kindness to us. And God, we just ask, Lord, that if there's anyone here today that perhaps doesn't know Christ, that's never looked into his glory, seen his beauty, God, I pray, Lord, that you would do that, that you would open blind eyes this morning, God. And, and God, for the rest of us, Lord, that, that know Christ, God, would you just encourage us? Would you re, would we, could we remember this morning how good you are and how powerful you are, that when you obey, you are with us and you work with us? God, we love you so much. And we just ask you, Lord, as we just worship you through this last song. We're not going to be taking communion this morning. But as we worship you through this last song, we just pray, Lord, that your strength and your power would be with us. In Christ's name, amen.